Hey, it's Alana. And Jacqueline. And you're in for another episode of Black and Yellow. Happy Black History Month, guys. And happy almost Chinese New Year. Mm. This February is a busy one for the Black and Yellow Nation. And quite frankly, after the chaotic, historic, and horrifying January we had, I am happy for any and all reasons to celebrate all February long. I think that's what February should just be called. It should just be called Same. February long. <laughs> <laughs> Ironically, because it is the shortest month. Right. <laughs> By this point, I'm sure that we are, are all masters of quarantine celebrations. Not sure how I feel about that. Um, being perfectly honest, I have so many February birthdays. I've already celebrated like four people just in the beginning of this month. I forgot um, about birthdays. Yeah, yeah. How dare they? How dare people be born in February when it's Black History Month <laughs> and Chinese New Year? The month is maxed out. It is, and my birthday's in February, so it's just, it's crazy. How dare you? How dare I? <laughs> um, so, you know, we hope this month is full of love, warmth, lots of good fortune coming into the year of the ox. That means we put our mm. heads down and we work really hard. At least that's what all your Asian ancestors are going to be saying. Wait, I have a question. What did you if say? The, I have a question. Yes. If it's the year of the ox, do you eat a lot of ox tail during the year? Is that like a go-to food or do, is it not weird? Is it weird for oxes to eat their own meat? Generally, there is this superstition of staying away from the an- eating the animal that you are or there is this oh. thing about not eating the animal that 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 is a like a thing in 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 mm. Chinese culture. So I'm not too sure. Right. I've never really heard of of not eating oxtail. Like maybe because I've I, I haven't maybe eaten specifically oxtail on an <laughs> ox year <laughs> that I remember of. <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> um but I do have I do have a really close friend. Her mom is a rooster and she'll constantly tell her not to eat chicken or there's a reason why she doesn't eat chicken. I don't know how much of Got that is it. true. How much of her is that just like speaking like a chicken <laughs> um, <laughs> gobbling? <laughs> they don't gobble. Turkeys gobble. But you know what I mean. <laughs> I got you. <laughs> um, so if you guys are joining us for the first time, welcome. We are thrilled to have you. Don't forget to subscribe and stay a while. We would love to continue to connect with you once a week here on the Black and Yellow podcast. And if you are a returning listener, we are also happy to have you back. Um, and thank you for having us in your years um, or on a speaker wherever you are playing us right now. <laughs> um, so I wanted to start off this little sh- this show um, for all our listeners, our subscribers, our supporters. Um, It's been, what, about three years since we started the show? End of 2018, I want to say. Summer of 2018. Mm -hmm. Um, So uh, I wanted to break the news that um, in a couple of weeks, um, I will no longer be co-hosting with Alana here on Black and Yellow. Uh, I have two big ventures coming up in my life that are going to be requiring a lot more of my time and attention. Um, one being my family business that I've talked about um, on the show a little bit. 
And the other is a shift in my career. I'm going down the fertility education route. Um, for all of you guys who don't know what that is, it is a very niche route, um, pretty much essentially helping women uh, with their sexual health, their sexual reproductive health, um, you know, gaining that sovereignty back. So it's still in total alignment with how I am on the show about women and women's body and women's, um, you know, feminism. Uh, my acting side will always be there. Don't worry. But, you know, there's a big pause. So um, I'm sure I'll come back to it at some point. Um, I do want to profess my utmost gratitude and love for what the show has allowed me to experience, share, and connect with you all and so much more. I've been able to be myself and and share my world with you all, lovely listeners. And it really doesn't get much better than that. You know, I really want to thank you for accepting me into your ears and hearts. And it's been an incredible journey. And I've grown so much from day one till now. I can't even, I mean, I remember when I first started the show, I was a completely different person. Um, and I mean, she's still there, but, but I, <laughs> I've, I've had to to grow and change a lot throughout the years and especially being on the show has really pushed me to become a better person, become a better woman, become a better feminism or feminist um, in, in the process of feminism. And um, I want to thank you, Alana, for just I love being, you. I love you for being such a wonderful friend and sister and companion and co-host. Um so I also love you all, and it's not over yet. Um, I might make a small appearance here and there, uh, <laughs> so you might just be surprised. I'll do like a little cameo appearance. If you can call it a cameo appearance on air, I don't know what you call it. <laughs> um, I like that. Um, full disclosure, we have some pre-recorded episodes coming out in February that you will still hear me on. Um, but I did want to say an official goodbye on this episode and use the theme of my life changing as a springboard for today's episode. So, yeah. Yeah. The show is not going to be the same without you. I just have to say before we spring forward into today's episode, uh, the show is not going to be the same without you. I realize that the show is essentially a toddler we're like sending this, this, if the show were an actual person, we'd be, we would be walking them together to the front door of kindergarten and like waving goodbye. Um, yes, yes. And I have tears of joy. They're not tears yeah. of sadness. <laughs> okay. I'll, I'll give you a break. I'll give you a break. Okay. I, I had a feeling this was going to happen. I'm going to, I'll take it from here. Um, we will miss you very much, Jackie. Again, we've got some great episodes coming up for you later on in the month. So it'll be a slow fade, not a goodbye and a door slam. Right. But, um, we wanted to utilize this change in the show and the change that's happening in the White House uh, as a springboard for today's episode because change, if going back to 2020, change was rough, change was scary, change was uncertain. But change doesn't always have to be those things. Change is also really a good thing. And change can be a positive thing. And change could be the thing that makes us the best next version of ourselves. And change is really necessary for us to live the fullest, most multi-dimensional lives that we've always wanted to live. And mm -hmm. I know for Jackie, off mic, 
women's reproductive health and reproductive justice and and educating the youth about women's reproductive uh organs women's reproductive justice women's reproductive any sort of information that falls into that category has always been something that jackie has been really passionate about so i'm excited for this next venture in your life and jackie you can change the world so mm. let's rock with it let's rock with it it's not a bad thing i think also uh we wanted to do this particular episode today because we wanted to make it super clear that jack and i uh have been discussing and planning this departure for quite a while there's no weirdness. There's no drama. We still see each other once a week. We'll probably continue to see each other for once a week, if not more times discussing and talking about life. Um, so with that said, the change that's happening in our White House, specifically with our Madam Vice President, we wanted to talk about it today because having a half Black half South Asian Madam Vice President for the first time is historic enough. But one of the most immediate visible changes that we could see uh, that her Madam Vice Presidency has had a tangible effect on is the shaking up of gender roles uh, and how we are looking at who is able to hold power, who is able to lead, women in leadership, women of color in leadership, we are now getting a very rich image of what that looks like. I think I said, uh, not last week, but the episode before, that the world has a collective crush on Kamala, excuse me, on Matt, um, Madam Vice President Harris's husband, Doug Emhoff, who is a Caucasian man. The world is collectively loving him because he willingly stepped back from his very powerful, very successful legal career to essentially overly be her supportive husband. He's been very public in his support of his wife and uh, has been very public, has been very publicly in the shadows, if that makes yeah. any sense, um, in terms of allowing her to step forward and her ambitions in life and in and career to step forward and take center stage. And he has acquiesced to the back a little bit and has allowed her to step up and really take the reins. And this is a really visible, this is a large visible change uh, than what we're normally used to. We're very much used to men being the heads of household, men being the breadwinners, men's careers taking precedent and priority over the, the careers of their wives or partners or girlfriends. This is a true change and it's a good change. And it's a change that the world needs to see. We need to see more women and women of color in control and their partners, regardless of color. Uh, and I want to say to a certain degree, regardless of gender, but let's be real, if we're talking about two same-sex two same-sex couples, uh, specifically women, I want both of you guys to succeed. I want both of you guys to be powerful. Just putting that out there. Um, <laughs> but if we're talking about heterosexual uh, uh, couples, uh, it's important for men to be brave enough to step back and let their women lead if it is their time. And let's be real, it is Kamala's time and the best thing that Doug Emhoff did for this country was give us the image of a man stepping back, specifically a white man stepping back so that his 
black south asian incredibly competent and powerful and able wife can lead our country into a better place right That's on what we're talking about today <laughs> we're talking about the shaking up of gender roles uh as we see them through kamala harris and through doug emhoff I'm also saying here and now I'm going to get a lot better about calling her Madam Vice President. I don't want to seem too familiar <laughs> with Madam Vice President. I feel like Vogue magazine did that. And people were like, mm -mm -mm, just because she's a black woman does not mean she's your black woman. Put some respect on her name. <sighs> um, <laughs> exactly. Uh, I think it's also something to be said that a pretty common feminist recant for many years has been the world won't change for women unless men change too. Mm -hmm. And we are seeing that now more than ever. I think one of my favorite uh, accounts uh, leading up to the inauguration was when Emhoff, he did an ask a grown up sort of online virtual question and answer session where so cute running with questions for him. And, and he answered them. And a nine year old named Atticus posed the question, what would you do if your wife became vice president? And I thought his answer was so cute. And I just want to share it with you guys. He said, quote, well, first I'd say, yay. And then I'm just going to do what I always do, Atticus. I'm going to support her because it's really important for men and even young boys to support the strong and wonderful women in their life. End quote. Couldn't have said it better myself. Yeah, I thought that was so cute. I read that too in the article. Um, I also read another New York Times article where I think it was I don't know at one point during the campaign, but I do know that mm. the husband of Pete Buttigieg, um, mm -hmm. Chastin Buttigieg, I hope I'm saying his name right, um, asked Mr. Emhoff, um, he had a moment with Mr. Emhoff and he replied, I'm not a theater guy. I'm just, you know, a husband. And I'm here to tell people why I love Kamala. And I thought that was just... So it was so like pure and innocent and simple and it it felt like true love and when I mm -hmm. think you you think about true love you don't think about race or gender true. or class or sex you just it's like a child's love or a parent's love for a child you're not going to love them any less because of whatever condition they may have or, you know, anything that arises, your love for your child is pure and wholesome. Mm -hmm. And that was just so simple. And I loved when he said that it made me have, um, you know, made me really revere him in that moment. Sure. I also, it feels like uh, being her husband is his jam. <laughs> in a, you know what I mean? Like in a way that I think we, we typically hear women who are very into their husbands and their husbands, you know, work and all of their accolades and really building up the husbands. I love this change where it's like, no, like I am overly into my wife and being my wife's husband is the dopest thing uh, ever. Right. This moment. Like we've seen countless movies we've been bombarded with images of women in the 50s waiting for her husband to come back getting all primped up sure. going to bed with makeup on going to bed with your hair done like living for your husband and i think yeah 
And I think that that is, that is a, a good thing when it's healthy and when it's balanced and when, you know, you are really working to make the relationship work. I think everybody should have a little bit of that aspect where you are living for them because you love them and they're in your lives. And that's what it takes to create sure. a healthy relationship. And so I think that's what we're seeing here. We're seeing a man in the mm-hmm. eyes of the world <laughs> for yeah. the first time and a white man mm-hmm. um you know living for his wife and i think that is too that's like you can't get any better than that especially with what's happening in, with everything yeah the enthusiasm is pretty unmistakable because i feel like i've this is the first time that i've i've ever seen a husband very energetic and enthusiastic about something that he is truly a supporting player of. I think when we hear men talk about support for wives, it doesn't ever feel like it's this um, alive. Yeah. Like, like, Like you can feel his energy. Yeah. Like he's her biggest fan. And I think if yeah. if you were to take any really successful relationship that's been together, mm-hmm. you know, they're like celebrating their 60th anniversary, you know, you hear things like yeah. that. Like, I'm her biggest fan. Like, I will always cheer her on no matter what she does, no matter who she is, no matter where she is, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think that's ultimate. That is like the ultimate love that you want to be able to hold for your spouse or your partner. Sure. Um, I think this is a really exciting time for young people. I was uh, thinking about this this morning as I was finishing off my show notes. But I think this is an interesting time for, uh, I I don't know what's, what like the five to 10 year old crowd is called. Whatever is below (laughs) Gen Z. I guess we just call them kids. I'll say the kids, uh, not in the pejorative way, but the actual children coming up right now. They're getting a really interesting picture of gender all around. I think this is one of the first times that women have had considerable amounts of power. We still have a long way to go, but we are in a lot of positions of power. And Men are being told it's okay to get in touch with your feelings. It's okay to be emotional. It's okay to talk and cry and right. feel and emote. And I feel like this is the first time that women are like, honey, I can't deal with your feelings. I can't deal with your emotions. Go talk to someone who's not me. At least I can feel that in my personal relationship. Um, I was talking to Christian, our producer over the weekend. And his girlfriend bought him a cup of coffee and you could hear him saying thank you. And I was like, oh, did Therese bring you something? And he was like, yeah, coffee. And I was like, oh, that must be nice. When Dylan wants tea, he has to get it himself. I'm too busy. I have things to do. If he wants his tea or yerba mate, he needs to go figure that out himself. Oh, that's hilarious. Yeah, I think you bring up a great point because, yeah, we can talk about and we will talk about more about the women's aspect of it. or the the race aspect of it but also we have to think about the other side because for so long men have been told we all know right boys don't cry mm-hmm. um you know the idea this this toxic masculinity there's so much about what it means to be masculine on the subconscious level that kind of runs these these men right these men that maybe yeah. are holding um positions in high power who actually maybe don't want to be you know yes and yes. and they're sad 
sad and they're depressed. So they drink and they, you know, take prescription pills and they live a very mm. unhealthy life all for the sake of mm-hmm. what being a man or X amount of money in your bank account. Like it's not worth it, right? It's super sure. important to to have your one life and to live it as authentic as possible. And so I think, yeah. Yeah, I think it's amazing that, that, you know, yeah, you said we still have a long way to go. And I totally agree with that. But just the fact to be able to see these things on screen, right? Yeah. Like kids nowadays, mm-hmm. like, yeah, the children in the five to 10 age, or even the teens, they have, they have so much access to everything yes. and anything around the world. What we see on TikTok, on Instagram, on Facebook, like you and I didn't grow up with that, you know? So nope. it was a very different way of thinking as we our brains were forming we've talked about it um on air a couple times you know how we didn't get to see some of the stuff that the kids get to see nowadays so we were limited Mm -hmm. in some ways in the ways that we thought about ourselves as women um you know as asians and as as and, and and black people and it goes a long way whether we realize it or not like the seeds are planted and then at some point they they flourish you know yeah we're seeing that. Like, we're seeing the bloom happening. It's a super bloom. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so, yeah, so that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about these shaken up gender roles. But first, we've got money and we've got a mouth. And Ooh. we're going to cram some money into our mouth. <laughs> Do it. All right. Well, ah. what, what you got, Alana? Cool. Okay. So uh, put your money where your mouth is. It is our uh, small, it's our small business segment where we like to recommend slash spotlight an Asian or black owned business for you listeners to every day support businesses of color, minorities in business perform acts of economic protest. If you want every dollar that you make and to spend to matter, this is the segment for you. So with that said, Valentine's Day and Galentine's Day oh. are rapidly approaching. And if you are gift shopping for the most important person in your life, which is yourself, um, I can't think of a better way to tell yourself that you love yourself and that you got you better than filling your body with luscious designer chocolate. Designer. Because Yeah, I didn't really know this was a thing until I found this company and then realized like, oh, wait, I kind of knew this was a thing, but I didn't necessarily have like I wouldn't have put those two words together, if that makes any sense. Uh, So if designer chocolate sounds like something that is up your alley, enter Chocolate Willy Wonka. AKA Philip Ashley. Philip Ashley Chocolates. Uh, Philip Ashley Chocolates, it is a company that is based out of Memphis, Tennessee. It is owned by Philip Ashley Ricks, who is one of the world's preeminent chefs and designers of luxury chocolate. He is an award-winning chocolatier, and Philip Ashley Chocolates was established with the desire to design and develop the finest, most unique chocolate experiences. He's made chocolates and chocolate gifts for the Emmys, the Grammys, the Oscars, and in 2014, Forbes magazine named Philip Ashley the, quote, real-life Willy Wonka. Philip Ashley Chocolates also specialize in nationwide virtual chocolate tastings. Thing to add to the to-do list if yours is feeling painfully thin. 
or if you're looking for something to do on Valentine's Day. Uh, Philip Ashley specializes in exotic flavored chocolates from all over the world. You've got your typical, I guess, what would be called a, a just a typical chocolate truffle to everything flavored with flavors from Asia and flavors from Italy and flavors from Africa and flavors from right here in our backyard in the United States, specifically the South. Um, lots of exotic chocolate flavors, milk chocolate, dark chocolate, white chocolate, and all the chocolates look like a little jewel box. Oh my God, yeah, so I'm on their website uh, now. It's beautiful. Like they look like they come from yeah, outer space. <laughs> exactly. It's all really aesthetically pleasing. It's all also affordably priced, which is also why I wanted to choose it. Uh, so yeah, if you're looking to buy a luxe Valentine's Day gift for yourself or your boo and support black business while you do it, check out Philip Ashley Chocolates. That's Philip with two L's uh, at Philip Ashley Chocolates on Instagram, philipashleychocolates.com. I will also drop a link in show notes. What you got, Jay? Mm, yum. I'm going to give myself some chocolate now. Um, I haven't had, I feel like as I've gotten older, I eat a lot less sweets or like specifically like a candy or like something that's yeah. like, right. Like the base is sugar versus like sure. flour, flour or something. And I haven't mm-hmm. had much chocolate lately. So that sounds like a good one. Um, so I changed it up this time. I, I am a woman who also believes that what better way to treat yourself than not waiting for a man to get you some flowers, but you get yourself some flowers. I heard that. And it doesn't have to be Valentine's day. It can be any day. It can be a Monday. It can be the morning. Okay. Treat yourself to some fresh flowers. Who doesn't love fresh flowers? I love fresh flowers. Same. Same. I absolutely love fresh flowers. So, um, I found this really awesome database. Um, Mm. I'm just going to write, I'm just going to say it right now. Um, it's a blog by Mayesh, um, blog.mayesh.com. She lists, um, has an entire, um, like all the black florists in us and Canada. Yeah. Wow. Super awesome. Um, of course, Los Angeles has like one of the biggest, well, I guess Florida is pretty up there. Um, but yeah, we have quite, quite a bit and it's great. And there, I looked a lot of them up. Um, some of these are smaller boutique stores. Some of these are more higher end designer. Um, so there's like, all and everything if you know depending on your budget depending on your event depending on what it is that you're looking for um so i chose um scarlet flower designs um on instagram Mm. she is team scarlet yeah she um is pretty pretty awesome she is a boutique floor design studio offering custom creations for events weddings funerals and everyday floral needs their primary focus is superior freshness, unique style, and personal touch. Their highly professional team of talented, detailed, or oriented floral designs of color with unparalleled skills are sure to infuse any arrangement with love, appreciation, and care. Creativity and, and, and ability to understand the specific needs of each of our clients is perhaps what sets their florists apart from the rest. When working with clients on events, they pay close attention and listen to the client's vision, unique style, and favorite flowers and color preferences. And their dynamic team can create an, 
array of designs from simplistic to contemporary to loose vintage inspired or lush English garden florals. Hello, Bridgerton. Um, <laughs> I'm just like thinking of all the flower arrangements on that show and I'm like, yeah. dang, it's a lot of work. Orgasm um, for sure. Yes. Um, and their number one goal is client satisfaction. So check him out. The um, the owner is um, Christina Bentley, um, and she is a native LA. I want to say she graduated from UCLA. Um, but yeah, they're having a Valentine's Day special. Um, all orders over a hundred dollars and placed by the fifth. So you all get two days. Um, <laughs> will receive free delivery. Um, so that's pretty awesome. That's like a great deal to get like a nice, beautiful bouquet for yourself. Mm-hmm. And then there, her, her website is, um, Scarlet Flower Designs and it's all on there. She does everything from, you know, custom creations to elegant events. Um, and you can see all her images on there as well. So check it out guys. Ooh, I feel like I gave so many flowers and houseplants as gifts in 2020 because it, it it was a type of gift that, you know, it wasn't food. So people were accepting it into their house. It's green. So it's good for the breathing air in your space. It makes your house smell good. It's yeah. And I think that there's yeah. something to do with like plants and flat, like it's life, like it's alive. Mm-hmm. And so it yeah. really, you know, and the, 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 the year felt so lifeless in a way right because (laughs) people were dying everywhere in the world and Uh we were our lives were you know changed drastically so Mm -hmm. breathing a little life into your life with plants (laughs) or chocolates um Mm. any day um i think is is a great treat yourself yeah you don't have to wait for a man to buy you flowers you don't have to wait for a man to propose shout out to sharif <laughs> on bling empire to anyone that is watching uh yeah in two days love it obsessed but i will not get sidetracked that's a whole <laughs> yeah. other episode it is okay <laughs> Okay, so we'll drop links to both of these companies in show notes so that you can get all Valentine's or Galentine's Day ready. And with that, let's uh, kick back into today's episode because I want to start by talking about the optics mm. of our Madam Vice President and America's first second gentleman. That sounds like an oxymoron. First, second. <laughs> um, so they are an interracial couple, full stop. If you didn't know, now you know. With uh, Vice President Harris being half black and half South Asian, while Emhoff is Caucasian, and I believe he was raised Jewish. Yeah. Both are successful in their careers in their own rights with, well, one is, hello, Madam Vice President. And the other, prior to him becoming Second Gentleman, was a really well-known entertainment lawyer and media lawyer, as well as a partner with global law firm DLA Piper. So that from the jump is a really ambitious, enterprising, industrious couple who people also like to call those couples power couples for the record, uh, who had achieved high levels of success before the vice presidency ever came calling. And now that she has secured that spot, what I feel like I can't unsee now, it's the, the most clear thing for me. Um, is that I see a white man who was willing to and has 
uh, severed ties or at least taken a leave, a leave of absence from his legal career so as to not have any possible conflicts of interest in the future. Uh, stepping back in his career and possibly to some extent his own ambitions uh, to allow a Black and South Asian woman to advance her career and her ambitions. And that part of the optic alone still stops me. The fact that a white man has stepped back so a woman of color can step up and step out further than him in terms of career highlights and just general life achievement is a pretty remarkable image that we have yet to see, but finally we are getting to witness and we're getting to learn from. Yeah, I think it's pretty miraculous. Uh, You know, I almost feel, at least I didn't think about it too much when Kamala Harris was, you know, when all of this was happening, all the attention was on her. Right. Mm -hmm. It was all about Kamala and what she's going to do and who she is and what she stands for. Blah, 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 blah. Right. And I like I honestly totally didn't think about her husband. Like, no, (laughs) I didn't even think like, what is what is what's he going to do or what's going to happen to him or what's going to like, (laughs) you know, like I didn't like it was just totally not obviously the, the point of what was happening. But now it's ironic that like that this that her becoming madam vice president has now opened the doors to so much more as well. Um, And I think Biden said it perfectly to him when Biden said, um, Doug, you're going to have to learn what it means to be a barrier breaker yourself in this job you're about to take on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's saying a lot about this, this role that he has to take on, which has never been, taken on by sure uh, a, a second gentleman <laughs> and, and even to say that is still an adjustment i think there's a collective adjustment to the phrase second gentleman <laughs> yeah. or i guess the full like the, the the imprint version america's first second gentleman i think that we're <laughs> going to be stuck in that adjustment for a while but it's a good adjustment to be stuck in because i think when things are not necessarily a smooth adjustment, you're forced to talk through why why it's a little bumpy. Mm, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I know in my house, Dylan was like, second gentleman, I don't know if I would love that title, which I think is a really honest thing to say. And I think there's a lot of men out there that might feel the same way in the sense that I love you, I support you whenever you do. There's something about being told you're the second. Right, right. When for so long, deep down in the male wiring, we have been told and society has reinforced that men are first. No matter what. Yeah, that there is a lot of internal work that still has to be done, no matter how feminist of a man you are, no matter how much you support For sure. Your partner. And I think that that's really honest and quite, and it led into some interesting conversations that I was really excited to have because I don't necessarily believe anyone that's like, oh yeah, second gentleman, we got this. No big deal. Like, no, no, no. (laughs) Like that person's full of shit. I'm going to be second forever. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Exactly. But I think this is a good segue into actually talking about the stereotypes that we've been fed for so long. Because generally, when it comes to men, we have been sold the stereotype as men as the breadwinner, the heads of household. Generally, generally, when we think of man's work, 
we think of it as the equation being high skill plus high paying. Maybe there's some high decision making aspects to it, too. But Mm -hmm. all of that added together equals the man's work, Mm -hmm. right? In a partnership, they're assumed to be the more successful ones who have careers in spaces that are thought to be more cerebral, uh, more in the fields of science or math or medicine or tech, or the other side of that working spectrum, which is occupying physical labor jobs like construction, law enforcement, postal carriers. You know, we all know those people, the postman, or driving, whether that's taxis or trains or pilots or huge trucks across the country. And most relevantly, relevantly to today's convo, men, specifically white men, are typically the holders of power. Right. Yeah. And I I think I think it's it's been so, like I said earlier, like psychologically ingrained in our brain, like we don't even question it anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. We have been as of late, but but you take anyone and and at some point, you know, that thought of of that power dynamic and of of men just being number one, like we said, mm-hmm. and, and holding those positions of high pay and high rank. It's because it has been done over mm-hmm. and over and over again, more, more so than women. It has been reinforced and yep. it has been shown and fed to us through media, sure. through books, through television. And, and so, you know, when something is reinforced, let's say a stereotype, um, mm-hmm. we buy into it, right? It's almost like brainwashing. Yeah, exactly. For sure. There's a, there's a, an adjective that's been used to describe Doug a lot lately, and I've taken note, and that adjective is dutiful. Mm. And I'm like, oh, whoa. Like, if that is not a gendered, coded right. adjective... I don't know what is because that is generally a word that we assign to Asian women, Mm. dutiful wives, dutiful daughter. I have very rarely heard a white man be referred to as dutiful. And I think I'm going to start to assign that to more men. (laughs) Men are just as dutiful as women. Women are not the only dutiful gender out there. And I almost, the feminist me was almost ashamed of myself. Like, Mm. Yeah, duh, you idiot. Men are dutiful too. And it's like, oh yeah, that's the gendering of language that has led me to believe that dutiful equals women and dutiful equals Asian. Both of those two things need to be deaded. Right, right, right. You said it spot on. Yeah, like kind of just how I was mentioning earlier, there's just been so like there's so much to take apart and realize how much, like you said, the gendered language, how it's ingrained in our subconscious, how we just we don't even question it anymore. Right. Because we've lived it. We've seen it. We've experienced it. Um, and so I think this is a great example for us to to shake that up, to, to really start mm-hmm. to begin to say, yeah, he is dutiful. Yeah, he is taking a back seat. Yeah, he is supporting his wife. And those are all things that men should and can do as well. Right. Absolutely. You know? Sure. I think, um, shall we we talk about the female stereotype now? Yes. (laughs) Which is essentially, 
Sure, yeah, we know women work. And if women work, that's fine. But women are typically expected to be accommodating and emotional. Uh, the stereotypes tend, in terms of jobs, we tend to occupy lots of caregiving, nurturing, emotional labor jobs, teachers, nurses, secretaries. Work that's deemed uh, a woman's job is thought to be less credible or less commanding of authority over all than a man's oh job. Um, it's expected to bear, women are expected to bear career brunts if there is a change in the household. So we saw a lot last year with the pandemic, a lot of women leaving the workforce in mass for financial reasons. The expectation is, honey, the man will keep working. The woman stays at home and takes care of the household. And you have to stop and think about how that impacts women's, not just their careers, but their sense of worth and value once the pandemic is over. Leaving the workforce is one thing. Getting back into it is incredibly difficult. And the deck is often stacked against women past a certain age uh, once they have left the workforce, which generally that barrier isn't, that barrier to reentry isn't as high for men, specifically not white men. Right, right. Absolutely. And on top of that, bearing kids and then just talk mm. about the toll it takes on your body, you know, yeah. like, like, okay, if women do and have uh, quotation marks to do all of this, then we should be getting sure. paid a, bi- a billion dollars more. You know what I mean? Sure. Like, sure. We, we do, we have to, if, if a woman decides to give kids, she will she will take a force on her body, a toll on her body, no matter what. That's bound to happen. Mm-hmm. But the institutions and the systems that are in place are not catered for women. They're still catered sure. for men, you know? Sure, um, definitely. And so, and so that stereotype, like you said, the odds are stacked against us. And mm-hmm. for why? Like, why and, and we all know why but all i'm saying is that that things need to change and they are changing definitely but it's because things like doug emhoff things like madam vice president things like the me too yeah. movement things like the 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 w- women's march you know that you know has been a long time coming but mm-hmm. but again that dynamic and that stereotype um that really needs to start becoming something different because it's so outdated it's so archaic it's like dinosaur era you know (laughs) it is archaic but we've never been given a more modernized image of of a uh, of a common modern working house in the united states today until right now yeah right because i was i was i was reading about it and they said like you know his so his role like he's expected to um, you know, fulfill some something that the administration needs. But they were very clear mm-hmm. in this article. I don't know if it was NPR or New York Times where they said that he can mm. he cannot outshine his yeah. woman because she is still above him in in sure. sense of jobs. And I thought that was so that was so clear. So on and again, like I'm sure many people reading that might have felt like like oh, he can't outshine her or like, oh, maybe, you know, like how that's not fair. That's uncool. And it's like, yeah, let's let's reverse it. How many times have women not been able to outshine their husbands? How many times have women had to step back and let their husbands Mm -hmm. take the spotlight? It's it's just part of life. It's part of a dance and don't assign any meaning to it. You know what I mean? 
Sure. Yeah, I think actually what you you bring up a really, really good point, because uh, former Australian Prime Minister Julia Gillard, she said something interesting about uh, women in leadership positions that I had never considered. Um, Obviously, she's got a little bit of experience being the former Australian Prime Minister. She's also the co-author of a recent book called Women in Leadership, and she sees relationships as just one more thing that women with authority get over scrutinized for. She says, quote, female leaders have to make very nuanced choices every day. We don't expect that of men. She didn't put in that last little bit. I did. Um, From their hair to their tone of voice to fall into the account, to fall into the acceptability zone Mm. in the imagination of the public, she said, and the tightrope continues with the spouse. If he's too active, people will think he's telling her what to do. If he isn't active enough, people will say, we're not getting any value out of him. Every little, every little footfall gets weighted, end quote, Mm. Um, which was something I had never considered until hearing, well, hearing you say that sort of solidified it for me. But yeah, you're right. It's a much, it's a much more careful dance between a woman in power and her husband than a man in power and his wife. Yeah. Sort of always had a clear marker for the latter and a clear, um, clear depictions of what the latter looks like, but almost never have we had one for the former. And I like that that's changing now. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think, I think that's so interesting that, that she said that because I do think women are held to a, like we're held to a standard in terms of, let's say like maybe just the general public eye Mm -hmm. in a much very different way than men are. Right. And like you said, we are naturally expected to say and be things that men are not naturally are. Um, And I just want to say that because we have to have kids and because we are women, I, I, I hands down say that we for sure make better leaders than men because of that sole reason. Yes. (laughs) Like a a million percent. But it's interesting that you say that because so I'm really happy that Doug actually has two kids from a former marriage Mm -hmm. and they refer to Kamala as Mamala because I think that in a way that shields her from getting asked the question of how come you never had kids? Did you ever want to be a mom? Like, I think that women always have to deal with the kids question. Yeah. If we're in the age to have kids, it's when are you going to have kids? If you don't have kids, then it's why didn't you have kids with the subtext of that question being that's the most important job on right. this planet for women. That's what women are here to do. Do you feel woman enough? Do you feel fulfilled enough or like you've done enough important work if you haven't become a mom? I know that Tracy Ellis Ross got that um, not too long ago when she basically said, yeah, motherhood wasn't for me, but look at all of this other amazing work that I've done. And she's Tracy Ellis Ross. But even she gets the question of when are you going to have kids? Why didn't you have kids? A nice woman like you surely would be a nice mother. Right. Um, and I think that that also is sort of heightened in the black community. I mm. remember when the question of who could possibly be Biden's running mate was floating around and Stacey Abrams's name came up a lot. And among the aunties and mamas of the black community, there was a common refrain of, oh, but she has young kids. She 
she has young kids. It's not right. That's not the right time for mm. her. And feeling like, excuse me, Obama had young kids when yeah. he entered office. Right. We don't say that about men with young children. We right. don't, We specifically as women don't look at other women. We should not, as women, go specifically as women. We shouldn't look at other women and assume that the needs that we think would be best for our family and our child would be best for them. And I, I that refrain really bummed me out because Stacey Abrams, we owe this, we owe a lot of thanks for Stacey Abrams narrowly um, changing. Uh, we owe a lot, exactly. We owe a lot of thanks to to Stacey Abrams for us not having to do another four years with Trump. Right, right. Uh, yeah. And then that also brings me to say, I've heard things like, you know, oh, she's she hasn't been a mother. So I don't think she would be a good leader, you know. Right. Um, and it's like, wait a minute. Like, <laughs> where? Why? Why does you being a woman, right? Like about same with Tracy Ellis Ross, have to dictate that you have to have kids. And if you don't have kids and it is somehow um proof that you are not enough like where and and i'm sure there are women who i'm sure tracy ellis ross has come up against that of like feeling like maybe she wasn't x y and z because she didn't decide to have kids and that is like another one that i think that just needs to be dead you know women don't we don't need more people on this planet oh yeah women don't need to keep having kids you can decide (laughs) what you want (laughs) Yeah, for sure. Um, I also think it's important to realize that there are a lot of women who are heads of household in the United States. Uh, There are a lot of women who are the breadwinners in their households in the United States. This idea of the nuclear family, 2.5 kids, and the man is the the breadwinner and the head of household, that is becoming less and less relevant and less and less common. Yeah. So in 2018, Prudential uh, surveyed more than 3,000 Americans between the ages of 25 and 70 for its financial wellness census. The survey indicated that 54% of women are the primary breadwinners in their family, while 30% are married breadwinners who are producing more than half of their household income. This marks an increase from 2015. That's a three-year difference. When the Center for American Progress found 42% of women were sole or primary breadwinners, bringing in at least half of their family's earnings. That represents a long-running trend that indicates women's earnings and economic contributions to their families are of growing importance. We have to... We have to get rid of this idea that men are the people that make more money, they lead the household, and that that's the way that it should be. The opposite side of that is that I think men need to, if they find themselves not as the winners, uh, not as the breadwinners of heads of household, need to challenge themselves to not become resentful of their partners who do out earn or who do or who who, uh perhaps even support them fully. Yeah. It's okay for that other shoe to drop. Right, right. And I just want to take a quick moment to really say that, like, you know, the reason why, and I'm hoping, I don't know him personally, but the reason (laughs) why I believe Doug Imhoff can be this type of husband who does fulfill his dutiful roles towards his wife 
is because he is confident in himself. It is because mm-hmm. he knows himself. It is because his bond with Kamala is strong. It is because he is solid. It is because he knows himself. It is because of so many things. And I sure. think when we can really be sure of ourselves, when we mm-hmm. can really understand the things beyond ourselves like maybe what our purpose is what our dreams are what are we here to do what are we how are here how are we here to give back how do we want to show up what kind of person do we want to be this takes all of these external standards and 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 limitations or or things that we have told have been told to us that we need to be or do or say or become it takes that off and mm-hmm. so i i don't know i'm hope like this is maybe i'm moving forward in terms of call to action but like <laughs> it just kind of came up for me that you know sure if a man is solid in who he is, what he's here to do on this planet, then he should have no problem earning mm-hmm. less or staying home or cooking or doing the laundry because that is just a part of life. Um, yeah. And, and I think, and I think same with women, you know, if we are sure that we want to be in this role and we want to be in corporate and we want to take bring bring home the money and we feel great and powerful and we love our lives then we should do that you know yeah yeah real talk it is empowering to bring home the bacon it is a great feeling to to be able to provide for yourself or your household and on the contrary not all men want to be career guys not all men want to go out and work 60 to 70 to 80 hours a week for the family some guys just want to be caretakers too like we don't extend that possibility to men the way that we expect for women to right to do that absolutely and i think that breaking the male box and and breaking what it means to be masculine also means extending the offer of oh you want to stay home with the kid while mom builds a fortune 500 500 company or mom goes to run government or mom goes to you know run charities whatever that thing may be whatever that position of power may be um that we traditionally think that men hold women can hold it and also men can be nurturers too. Yeah. Men can be things like nurses. Men can be things like nannies, though I, under, I understand why a male nanny for some people is strikes fear. Right. No and that, and that comes from something else as well. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. All that's to say, like, we can switch up these gender roles and it's fine. It doesn't make a woman an emasculating woman to her husband. And it doesn't make the husband a beta male. Yeah. Definitely. I completely agree with you. So do we want to talk about what this image looks like to us as women? Yes. Um, I will start. I think that it's important that that we are showing young boys and young women that uh, what women in power look like. I think that we have we are very used to what men in power look like what men in power are make us feel and how we are expected to kowtow and treat them i think it's really important that uh i think her madam vice presidency is providing young men and young boys with a wonderfully multifaceted image of what it means to be a woman um 
who is also a person of color in a position of power. If you can see it, you can be it, which means we will have more people like her coming up uh, in future decades. Yeah, I think for me, it really, you know, I'm all about balancing everything out, right? And so mm-hmm. I think I think this is the, she is the first major, um, I guess, position or, or, or element in this, let's say, like the history of the United States that mm. is finally beginning to balance the scales out. Yeah. Um, and I don't think we've nearly had enough of, of women in power in terms of government, in terms of color, in terms of race. Um, and I think it is so important for kids to be able to, to see and read this in history books for kids to experience it, you know, as it's happening. And it starts to balance all of these things out because I think through balance, we can start to find some kind of harmony, some kind of peace, some kind of, you know, um, it's, it's been a very chaotic, um, almost decade here in the United States, you know, ever since Trump and everything that's been happening. So, um, you know, I think Obama did that as well in terms of race, but, and his wife, Michelle did so much for that. Um, but I do think it's, 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 it's time to really start to, you know, get things, um, on an even scale. So it's really totally. Um, I also think that sometimes the best way to show someone support is to step back and let them lead. And I think that we're getting a really good image of that. Uh, I think that we got really used to public displays of support on social media, uh, not just because of last year, but I think that we have been in this in, in an era of if it isn't documented by photograph, did it really happen? Right. I think that we have been uh, very much falling into that. Mm-hmm. And um, I think we, I think with all of these public displays of support, we also have brainwashed ourselves into believing that that's what support should look like. Mm. If it's not loud and vocal and public, are you really then supporting? And I think that Doug Emhoff is a really good example of sometimes support can be in the shadows and sometimes support can be enthusiastic but silent. And sometimes support just means step back and let someone else step forward and maybe have their back behind a closed door or in a quiet moment, but it doesn't necessarily have to be photogenic, photogenic documented evidence of what support is so that that person gets the support, but I also get the, the stamp of validation for being the supporter. Right. Yeah. Um, that's so interesting, huh? It's, it's, uh, you brought it up now too. And now I'm just reflecting within myself that it's true. Like if you don't see it, why are you going to believe it? You know? Mm -hmm. And, and the truth is, is that, you know, I think we all have to learn to believe a little more than we, than seeing it because believing is what is, what's going to really make it, you know? Cause yeah. if, if you're just going to wait to see it before you believe it, then you might be waiting a long time. <laughs> so, so that, that, that's, that's a really good one. Yeah. I think, um, I think my final point is that the image of, of Kamala being in power, um, it changes the way that we typically view or assume what leadership sh- should look like. Um, At least here in America. Trump, we got very used to leadership. Yes, it's true. It's true. I'm sorry. Let me let me actually say that. Here in America, we got very used to leadership looking loud and aggressive and always 
quote unquote right as in like you know alt right far right but also this motherfucker always thinks he's right um always ready with an answer and talking nonstop at people as opposed to two people um when in fact i would argue that leadership is the opposite leadership is listening leadership is compassionate to some degree, leadership can be quiet. It doesn't always have to be loud. It's firm when it needs to be. And it's also transparent. And it's also done by law-abiding citizens, preferably. Right. And I just think it's refreshing to have all of that in a position <laughs> oh boy. Of, of power in the White House. But I mean, but but all of this to say, I also would imagine that behind closed doors, there is some mental adjusting that is going on for Doug as well. All of these great changes are just that they're great, but I would imagine it's hard to undo some of that wiring that we have been sold our entire life. Right, right. Um, I think that it was the, the, the first first gentleman was actually uh, the husband of the first female, I'm sorry, uh, of the first female governor of Michigan, Jennifer Granholm. Yes. Her husband, Doug Mulhern, was the first, first gentleman. Um, And he actually had this to say, I thought it was quite interesting. Quote, the sense of lost control, I think, for a man is challenging. We like to be in control. I think it's kind of deeply wired. And with all the focus on his wife, Mullern had to get used to being in the shadows with people walking past him as if he wasn't even there. I always had a big ego, he said. I wanted to matter. Mm-hmm. Which, no surprise, like, like, I think human beings always want to matter. But I think... I think that as amazing as the work that Doug is doing, I think also we have to give him a little bit of time as well and and understand that probably behind closed doors, he's having to do some ego adjusting and attitude checking as well. Because who wouldn't, right? Yeah, yeah. I think I think he's um, is going to have to, you know, learn how to fulfill this role that has never been fulfilled before. Yeah. Um, and I think he has to be very smart and calm um, about it, you know, and, and who knows what might come up for him in terms of himself and wanting to shine still and, 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 and being careful not to overstep or outshine his wife. Um, I don't know what, I don't know what their dynamic is like a couple, um, you know, but if it was a very specific dynamic before it it could possibly very well change um, after she assumed her role, you know? Sure. Yeah, I think the thing that I will, I'll take us out on is, um, I think the one concern that a lot of people are having is now that a man is occupying this position at as high of a level as he is occupying it, will this position now suddenly be more meaningful? It's like we've had a lot of first ladies and that's a position of meaning but suddenly here's a man occupying an unconventional role as second gentleman is this role going to be more meaningful now because a white man is now occupying Mm, it at a high level that's fascinating to me to think about 
Uh, yeah, I wonder if people are, are, are people going to give it more meaning just because a white man is sure. occupying it? And then what does that sure. say about the collective? Um, yeah, exactly. I mean, Michelle Obama yeah. changed that role for me completely. Like she, sure. she was the sure. one who definitely set the standard. Um, but now that you said that, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, hmm. <laughs> thing to think about. I mean, that's ultimately like the future. We have no idea. Right. It is a thing that people are now talking about. Like, oh, great. Now a white man's in this position. Yeah. So now people want to fuck with it. I mean, mm, I, I wonder why. I think it's normal because, you know, it's something new, right? It is, there are, People are going to be talking about it and there's going to be attention all of that like i think there's a, a level of normalcy to it but you're right i yeah. think what regardless of not if like it now it becomes like if if it becomes something bigger than it should be then that's where it starts to become problematic once again right and then we have to check totally. with ourselves and our biases and where we come from and all of that stuff and yeah that's fascinating that's super interesting yeah um i think also looking at this partnership as people of color, I have has also sort of pulled up some strong feelings as well. Um, as a woman of color, we've talked about how to be an ally on this show before. Specifically, we've we've done the do's and don'ts of allyship. And in 2020, there was a lot of urging white individuals with the best intentions of being allies to pass the mic or pull up for marginalized people. But quite frankly, one of the easiest ways to be an ally is to identify what is needed at the present moment for a society, a select group of people. And if that person if you are not the person to provide the needs that are needed at that time, step back right. and allow someone else to take the lead and to shine. Mm. And I think that we're seeing a really great example of allyship, uh, specifically as a person of color, what allyship looks like and should look like uh, across the board. Yeah, yeah, I agree, right? I think that's so interesting that you said that. Be well, I think ultimately because it is rooted it's it's rooted in love right and mm -hmm. and i think mm -hmm. and i think that that's not to say that like oh you have to love everyone that you're with or if they're not your partner but this idea of i don't know how abstract i want to get with this um but, but this idea of if you are a white person or if you are learning to become an ally or want to be an ally or in that moment what can you do I think erring on the side of compassion and again, love, because if you can in that moment, not, not make it about yourself or not make it about race, right? Like what would you do in that moment? And that's yeah. what Doug Imhoff is demonstrating is that he's never, he's never talking about the fact that she's black or that she's Asian or that she yeah. is Madam Vice President. All he is saying is that I love her and I support her, mm -hmm. period. And when you love someone and their, their life is changing, what do you do? You support them. And yeah. so, and so it, it is, it is so much simpler always that that then we make it right but but i think with that being said is like you know and if anything we've learned during coronavirus is like 
it ain't going to discriminate, right? So, oh, nope. so right. if you can channel a little bit of that as well, of like, let this person just be this person right now. And, and what you have to do is step back or not say anything or not shine in that moment, then, you know, hopefully you're able, these people or we're all able to come to that conclusion and have enough strength to step back. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think also... Uh, as we are stepping back, let's also take an extra step back out of our comfort zone. Yeah, that's it too. It's not comfortable. <laughs> yeah, because I think that this that this image for a lot of people, the image of an, an interracial couple in the White House, is still deeply uh, uh, uncomfortable for large swaths of our population. Oh, and you know what? So Fuck your comfort zone. And I think there are just certain people that legitimately are like, no, races should stick together. And you ask these people why, and they're like, I don't know. It just, that's what I know. That's what I'm comfortable yeah. with. That's what I can understand. I know you and I can definitely both feel that as women that have been in and are still in um, interracial relationships. They can have it. They, they, they hit people in strange places. Um, and it's not always the people that you would expect. Sometimes they're like very modern people or good friends who have these kind of weird hangups about dating uh, outside of one's race or marrying outside of one's race. I think um, I think that's so interesting that you say that because I think I'm spoiled in the sense where like I don't think about that often enough. Mm. But you're right. It's, it's everywhere. And like I've come up against oh, yeah. it as well. But I, I guess I don't because it's so normal for me to see an interracial couple sure. also known as Kamala and Doug, um, yeah. you know, in my face, in my family, in, in whatever that, yeah. that I don't, I, because I'm seeing it with my lens, which is normal to me and I accept it and I love it, mm -hmm. but you're right. Majority of the population and even majority of the people it, on staff, maybe in the white house might not be as comfortable as, as I may think. Yeah, and I also think it's it's worth noting she is a black and Asian woman. He is a white man. When we talk about partnerships that that are interracial and include a white person, that partnership is generally a white woman and a black man. Mm. And I do want to point that out because the vice president elect and her uh, second gentleman her second gentleman, Boo, uh, are part of a rare demographic among intermarried couples, those between black women and white men. These marriages make up just 3% of all newly heterosexual intermarried couples in the United States, according to the Pew Research Center. Wow. White men and black women, they tend to marry older than the same race counterparts and are more likely to have been previously married, which in this case is correct. Emhoff was married to a white woman before Harris. Emhoff and Harris are both 56. Emhoff was, or they were married in 2014. Emhoff is, uh, Harris is Emhoff's second wife. Their union is also being celebrated by a small but growing segment of the population with intermarried couples uh, making it up about 17% of new marriages and about 10% of all marriages, according to a 2017 Pew Research uh, report. And I also just want to just, this was an interesting bit of knowledge I did not know, but marriages between white men and black women are 
less or uh, substantially less likely to divorce by the 10th year of marriage than those in white marriages, black marriages and marriages in which her husband is black and the wife is white, according to a 2008 study. I thought that was actually quite fascinating and I wanted to share it. The reasons aren't super clear, but experts speculate that the barriers that keep white men and black women from marrying at higher rates may mean that those who do are especially committed because Uh. they have overcome so much strife. They want to be together because they want to be together. Mm. I thought that was really interesting. Um, That's beautiful. I do think that we need... Yeah, definitely. And I mean, it's not as though we've never seen interracial couples uh, in politics. I mean, Mitch McConnell is married to Elaine Chow. Oh, yeah. Who was born in Taiwan. You're like, okay, we, let's not talk about her. <laughs> we'll just move on. Uh, Clarence Thomas, who's African-American, he's married to a white conservative named Virginia Thomas. Uh, and I believe there is one more. William Cohen, a white man, is married to Janet Longhorn Cohen, who's a black television journalist. So it's not unheard of. We see it. It's just not common. Mm. And it's certainly not common to this caliber and to this power level, because generally, if there's a white person in an interracial partnership, we think that they are more successful. More Automatically. Important. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I think as a person of color, seeing that specifically as a person of color who is also in a relationship with a white man to actually have the partnership reflect and hit so close to home is very powerful and very special. Yeah, that's you're absolutely right. I can see I can see everything that you're saying um and why it would it, it makes sense um and and ultimately it's you know it's what they're standing for, right? Um sure. for the citizens sure. for the citizens of the United States to really um really see, you know, with such with such open openness and and they're always going to be in the public eye, so Sure. Fascinating. I feel like this episode has brought up strong feelings and our call to actions have been weaved <laughs> throughout. They have been. Um, um, if you, do you have any more? Do you have a call to action or have you like weaved your call to action seeds in I there? I might have accidentally so weaved it earlier when okay. I was talking about, you know. Um, yeah, I, you know, I think the reason why the the life that you and I have experienced right as women and as women of color there is this fine line between becoming fully aware of who you are mm-hmm. and what you want to do and what your purpose here is and that takes time right um mm-hmm. It takes experience. It takes falling up and getting back up and feeling like shit and then feeling better. Um, As society changes, right, we also change with it as we get older. And I I think the fine line that I'm talking about is my answer to a lot of things is to really get to know yourself really understand yourself and really love yourself because when you are able to be in that space, everything that you do, everything that you stand for and the decisions you make in life will, won't be as impacted by 
it's not dictated as much by what goes out there on out there in the world. I can say that. And and I'm not saying it won't be. It still will be no matter what because unless you go, you know, live on a farm and don't see anyone. Um that's not going to happen anytime soon. Um but I think it's it, in having that other side like again to balance it out to counteract. Otherwise, it's it's a difficult road, you know. It is it is very mm-hmm. difficult to be colored and female and trans and 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 gay or bi in this world where it is very um, can be very one way, right? One color. Um, so, so, you know, there, there is a lot of internal work that has to be done. Um, and a lot of times we shy away from that internal work because we're not exposed to it. We don't have guidance. We're not taught and, and we're not shown and, and, and it's not normalized. Um, and so what I can say is, you know, is, is that is do that internal work because, if you're going to rely on the external things to dictate your internal world, then, then you are in trouble. Um, so that would be my call to action is, you know, really, really do that work, that self-discover, um, that self-discovery type of work that, that'll make everything, um, just make more sense. And, and, and if they don't make sense with whatever's happening in the outside world, then you can be at peace with it, not making sense for now. Um, and then you can work on yourself and, 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 and do whatever it is that you need to do to, so then you can enjoy moments like Kamala and her husband and what they're standing for. So that was a lot. (laughs) No, no, it's good. No, it's good. I think ours align because mine is, is a check and challenge what you choose to believe. Mm. Stereotypes are not things you have to believe. Right. They are things that have been uh, in play for years and years in media or years and years. They've been orally passed down from generation to generation. But it doesn't mean that you have to believe these stereotypes. You are subconsciously choosing mm-hmm. to believe these stereotypes, but you don't have to. And I think that this episode is a really good gender check barometer uh, for, I would assume anyone that's listening to this show is probably pretty open-minded and yes. progressive <laughs> to some degree, but might not necessarily be in a partnership with someone who has the same gender expectations when it comes to careers. This is a great time to crack open those beliefs and have conversations about them. Mm -hmm. My partner and I did, and we are better off for it. I think it's really important to check these beliefs that we hold or to challenge them if they now don't suddenly feel right. Right. Um, Conversely, you might hear this and you might be like, listen, I'm a woman who likes to be in the kitchen and I want to be at home and I don't want to go to work. And that's great if that is where you want to be right on. But if you're a woman who wants to be in the workforce and your husband has some sort of or partner has some sort of feeling about that. This is a great time to have conversations about gender and power and where you and your partner are. And um you might be aligned the way that you were when you guys met, or you might not. And I think these are important conversations to have. They're also important conversations to have within yourself. Mm -hmm. If the idea of a man being second gentleman makes you slightly uncomfortable or feel a way or judge him in a way, 
step and check, stop and check, uh, check where that's coming from. Where is that hitting you and why? Meditate on it, journal on it. But this world only becomes a better place if we can remain mentally agile and are willing to lean into the discomfort of checking, um, limiting limiting beliefs that we hold tightly. Yeah. Even if we don't realize we hold tightly to limiting beliefs. Right. No, you, I mean, yes, you're spot on. It, it's like I said, it's going to take time, you know, and in, in that journey, whatever's going to come up, you know, something may come up today and then something may come up, may come up three months down the line that you had no idea that that has been there all along, Sure, you know? So, yeah. so along the way, I think be kind to yourself, be gentle to yourself and your partner, especially if you're in one, but like, you know, keep trekking forward slowly day at a day at a time. And, and really we all, owe, we all owe ourselves the ability to, to, talk and communicate and be vulnerable in this way now more than ever. Um, So there you go. Yeah. Keep trucking forward. Just as a reminder, this is not a farewell forever from Jackie, but this is the beginning of a see you later. (laughs) I love Uh, that. We will have more episodes from Jackie. I mean, come on. Chinese New Year is next week. We're not, I'm not doing a solo cast for Chinese New Year. There's no fucking way. Um, That is our episode for today. We are the Black and Yellow Podcast. If you want to find us on Instagram, we are on the gram at Black and Yellow Podcast. We are also on there independently. If you want to DM us your deepest, darkest secrets, I am Alana Webster on the gram. I am at Renegade of Fun. I am Jacqueline Chung Young on the gram. You can also find us on Spotify podcasts and Apple podcasts. Please rate and review us. Send us a little message. Let us know what you thought about this episode and all the others. <laughs> if you are binge listening and have nothing to do during this continual um, quarantine, lockdown, coronavirus situation. Um, I want to thank everyone again for letting me into your hearts and your ears. Like Alana said, this is the beginning of a see you later and you will hear from me, especially in the month of February because Chinese New Year is coming up and we all know I'm Chinese. So, um, <laughs> have a wonderful day, night, evening, wherever you are in the world and we will talk to you guys later. Thanks, guys. Bye.